Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Reading Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 to 10. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich food filled with marrow, a well-aged wine strained clean. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. The Moabites shall be trodden down in their place as straw, is trodden down in a dung pit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. Today's reading is John, verses 11, 32 to 44. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he, said, when he had sent this, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, 
his hand and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. You know, we've, that's an odd passage to me because Jesus becomes sad and disturbed twice. And sometimes I wonder, why is he sad and disturbed? Something tells me that Jesus is pretty sure that when he goes to the tomb to wake up Lazarus, he knows what's going to happen. A lot of times people read this that Jesus is sad because of Lazarus' death. I can't help but notice that every time that Jesus starts to weep or becomes disturbed, it's immediately after a bunch of people said, why weren't you here? This was your job. I wonder if what makes him sad is all the people who don't get what it is that they are supposed to be. Every week, believe it or not, I hear the words, if my grandmother were here, she would never have allowed that. I can't help the parallel. Like, as I read the Bible passage, if you were here, and I hear, if my grandmother, there's a person who is here almost every single day who loves to talk about their grandmother and what their grandmother would and would not allow. I can't help but on All Saints Sunday, and I didn't really grow up with the traditional notion of saints. Uh, my, my tradition doesn't venerate saints. So I just kind of grew up with this concept of saints are really good people, right? And I think that there are a lot of grandmothers out there and fathers, heck, may, maybe even a kid or two, that are saints. I'm good with that. That doesn't bother me because when I think of, there's this huge political process that goes involved in becoming a saint. Does anyone know how difficult it is? I mean, it involves councils of people. Okay, you have to be nominated. Your local diocese has to support the nomination. Then it gets sent to Rome. And then it goes into a council where you then go through a three-stage process moving towards sainthood. And, not, and most people don't make it. They hit one level or another. There's a lot of money that goes in. Did you know that there was a survey done of saints and they found that one saint was actually a dog? <laughs> this was a big thing. So one of the things that I actually like, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church gets a lot of garbage thrown at them. But one of the things the Roman Catholic Church has done is actually had an internal investigation and inquiry into how and why they have done certain things. They care about who got made a saint, for instance. So they went through and they reviewed all the saints and tried to find out what really makes a saint a saint. And they found animals and people that never existed were saints. And do you know what they did to them? They threw them out. There was a massive culling of saints at one point. 
because the traditional concept of a saint is a person who has embodied the goodness of God to such a degree that their works of goodness are worth so much more than the original sin that is in their body. That's what makes a sin. That's what makes a saint. I happen to think grandparents and a lot of people out in the world who don't have the ability to go through the political process of sainthood have the ability of actually being categorized as saints. So for me, for all the saints, is a time when we look and we call into our memory the great people who have touched our lives. Now, some might not agree with this. I, I'm actually a very spiritual person, and I do believe in angels and things like that. And I believe that when we think of the great people, or honestly, the not great people, who have come before, we call their energy and their presence to us. Now, if you don't agree with that, and it's just simply a world memory thing, well, the fact of the matter is, when we call upon these names and these memories, the pragmatic reality is the same. They become our inspiration and our energy to act. So whether or not you're a spiritual person or a person who just views it in a very worldly way, calling upon the saints have the ability to transform us because of the goodness that those memories or those spirits bring to us. So here is my question for you on All Saints Days. Or All Saints Day. Who are your saints? Who are the people? Whose names, whose memories and spirits do you invoke in your life and why? As I was saying, I didn't grow up with a canonical notion of saints. So you don't need to li limit yourself by the people who you can buy the little pieces of jewelry of. Right? Doors wide open. Who are the people who you invoke in your life and why? When does your grandmother need to come in and remind you that something that's going on isn't right. I'm going to use Swedenborgian language. This is how Swedenborgians refer to it. You see, we believe that people, when they die, they become angels. I don't know how many people believe that. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. There are two different rules about this. One group of people believe that angels are a separate sort of being, a separate class of creation from humans. In the Swedenborgian church, we believe angels are people. They're peoples who turn their life towards God to such a degree that they become a messenger for God. Now keep that in mind. The word angel doesn't mean separate type of being. It means messenger. Even the devil can have an angel. The devil can have a messenger. Now again, I don't believe in a personified devil of sorts, but, but evil spirits can send messages. And good spirits can send messages. That's what the word angel means.
Who is it? What angels do you call on when you look around your life and why? The reason why I ask the que this question is because, honestly, I think that there are some people who do not always call on saints or good angels, but maybe on people that aren't so good. Sometimes we have heroes who we worship that are not the best of people. And taking a step back to start asking ourselves, whose name and spirit do we invoke to transform us is an important question. Are we looking to God? Are we looking to scripture? Are we looking to the person of Christ? Or maybe we'll say, man, if Herod would have got his way, things would have been much better. Think about all that political. No one says that about Herod, right? No. But trust me, all the time we say, you know, back in my day, we wouldn't have let those people do that. We do that. We do that in this world. We hear it all the time. We can say, I want my way over the other person's way, so if this other person was here, and we can put in whatever that hero's name is, I would get my way. Well, you're not using Herod's name. But you're invoking a name that could be about domination. So Jesus calls out to Lazarus after being told, hey, you weren't, you weren't here. He wouldn't have died. He calls out, and Lazarus comes out, and I think it's interesting, because you know, it could have said, Lazarus came out and waved everybody and said, hey guys, I'm still here. Could have come out with, it could have been that people ran in and carried him out, but it, it came out and it specifically mentions his hands and his feet were bound. And his face was covered. And the reason why I find that interesting is because it could have said anything. It would still be an impressive story, right? Someone's stinky and dead in a cave, and they walk out. It doesn't matter if their hands and feet are bound, right? It's still pretty, it's impressive. There's a message to that. You see, Lazarus is a figure who, when he's mentioned, symbolizes someone who really loves God. His family had a lack of faith. What I would posit, this story is actually about this lack of faith binding God and pushing God into a cave. And when we do that, we bind the hands and feet. Not of God, but of ourselves. This story about death and resurrection isn't about a miracle where we think, maybe this will get saved like this. this. This is actually a story about our spiritual journey and us unlocking an internal component of ourselves. An internal component of love that we've pushed to the background. Our reading from Swedenborg today, we hear about these leading loves a little bit. And for Swedenborg, leading loves... We, we can have a choice for lots of reasons why we do things. Because a bad person can come into church and can sit in a church and can leave a church and people would look at them on the outside and say, well, that person comes to church every Sunday. They must be good. But why are they there? Why do they sit in the pew? 
Do they sit in the pew because they love God or do they sit in the pew for another reason? Because of some belief that being in that church will help them with a worldly need. So they can show on the outside a love of God, but the main reason they're doing it is a love of self because their self is more important. And that's what's interesting about the face being bound. Now remember, Lazarus, I'm still trying to figure out legs bound and hand bound, how he hopped out. How did he find the door? His head was wrapped. The head was wrapped for a reason. In scripture, symbolically, beginning to end, there is a concept that is mentioned over and over again, and I'm sure we've all seen the mistranslation in, in horror movies. Right? But in horror movies, they like to put the 666 on the forehead. Right? The, the number of the beast. That's a mistranslation. Whoever wrote that doesn't understand what the Bible is actually saying. It's six times six times six. You'd have to multiply it out. It's not 666. Does that make sense? But the point being, these numbers and these faces and these comments have a deeper meaning. It's not about actually what's on the forehead. It's that in the biblical Symbolism, the face symbolizes who you really are. And your forehead especially. Even in the early sections that talk about how to properly pray for the, for the Jewish people, they talk about binding God's name. On, and I've never seen a real uh, Orthodox Jewish prayer time where they actually strap the prayer. They, so they have these prayer boxes that have leather ropes and they strap them on and they tie them up to different parts of the body as they're commanded to. And there's one that goes right on the forehead. And they have a special way they tie it and they wrap it. Each one of these body parts traditionally has a deeper meaning. This story is about a love of God being pushed to the background. I don't know how many of you think that you're more, 100 than, more than 100% of a person. Anyone here more than 100%? No? Okay, just making sure. I try and be at least 150% from time to time. Doesn't work out. Right? I can only be 100% a person. Let's say that there is 20% of me that is not healthy. Do I have to become 120% so I can replace that? Or do I have to actually become 80% and then grow up to 100%? The point being, if we want to change, it doesn't mean adding, it means changing. A lot of people want life to be about adding. They want what they want in the way they want it, and they don't want anything to change. Guess what? Doesn't work. People wanted Jesus to do the work, so he wept. Because people missed the point. People missed the point in this just like we missed the point. There is work that we must do. With all of this in mind, who are the people who we wish were there who even in the process of remembering what it is they would have done, we still don't do it. 
You know what I mean? So often I hear this concept of calling back on the passing. In the past, this would never happen. But we're only talking about the past. We're not actually saying, this is a great example. We need to actually go and do these things. Like that, the people there knew that the Lord had the power to resurrect Lazarus. They, understand, they understood that the power was there, that Lazarus' love of God was real. But all they did is sit around and talk about it. How? For four days. They're like, I sure wish Jesus was here. He's not here yet. Anybody have fine, my friends? How often does that happen in our lives? How often do we call upon the saints and the great people, the great people who we wish were here because they would be doing something, but ignore the fact that that's a reminder for us to do it. The difference between death and resurrection is whether or not you do it. Thinking it doesn't make it so. This story is a reminder for us. When we think of the saints and the great people who came before us, that is our call to act, not to remember. This is why it's so important to ask the question, who is it that you wish was here to save what you love? Who are your saints? What are you trying to have happen? Do you embrace a political leader who made the trains run on time? Or do you embrace a completely powerless person who never really caused any significant drastic change, but simply talked to people and said, you need to love more? Some people could criticize Jesus as being a failure because Jesus did very little. He did not make the Jewish people have their own homeland like he was supposed to. He did not kick out the Romans. Jesus did not make a great military power that made the entire world of that day look toward the temple. That is what people expected in many ways. We've had leaders who've done that. We've had leaders who've conquered all of Europe. Which leader do you look to? Jesus brought unity and questioned what value is. He did not take value from one person and transfer it to another in order to make the group that keeps them in power happy. He questioned the notion of value itself. What is written upon our foreheads? We all want it to be God's name. Is it? Who is it that you call upon? Who is it that you ask? If you were here, things would be different. May we all question that and look to the unlikely person who isn't about what we want, but is about love.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.